First, we'll be looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And also from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Thank you. You may be seated. Okay, so last week we took a tour through 4,000 years of biblical history, of human history, 4,000 years of history and prophecy of the coming deliverer, the Messiah, the Christ, starting with the curse on the serpent in the Garden of Eden. And the announcement of a seed from the woman who would bruise or crush the serpent's head. And then ending with 400 years of silence. After Malachi's prophecy of the son of righteousness who would come after the forerunner Elijah comes to prepare his way. I just love in the Hallowood Manger ground Emmanuel song. What fear we felt in the silent years. 400 years could you be found. And after those 400 plus silent years, God again begins to speak 
And he does it in some peculiar ways. He starts with an angel who shows up to a man named Zechariah, who was a priest. And the angel says that Zechariah's barren wife, Elizabeth, will bear a son. Zechariah questions the prophecy since both he and Elizabeth are old and advanced in years, he says. But the angel, Gabriel, makes it clear that these things will come about, saying in Luke 1, 13 to 17, But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Hey, wait, that's right where we ended last week, right? That's exactly what Malachi had said at the end of what we call the Old Testament. Elijah would come and prepare the way before the son of righteousness would rise on his people. It's almost like God meant what he had said, right? Well, Gabriel's not done prophesying or announcing yet. And what Will just read from Luke 1, 26 to 38, Gabriel shows up to a young lady named Mary and says that she, too, is going to have a baby. And while Zechariah and Elizabeth's baby is miraculous, Mary's baby is going to be, if it's possible, even more miraculous. Let's look back at 30 to 35 of Luke 1. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. And will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. We talked about that last week. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Fantastic, great, this is wonderful. But, and Mary said to the angel, How will this be? Since I'm a virgin. And the angel answered her, Now listen, listen. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now, again, press in here. Dig in here. Think about, ponder, and feel this. God is doing something that has never been done before in 4,000 years at this point and will not ever be done again. God is taking on human flesh. 
The mystery of the incarnation is fathomless. We blithely say, oh yeah, I understand the incarnation. Stating that it is a basic tenet of the orthodox Christian faith. And it is. But I can promise you this morning, you do not understand the incarnation. And I don't either. Oh, we acknowledge its truthfulness, and we should. But we don't get it. We don't comprehend it. We can't. Listen, the second member of the triune God is placed within the womb of a young lady who had never been with a man sexually by the third member of the triune God when He, the Holy Spirit, overshadows this lady and causes an embryo to be implanted in this human womb. And God becomes a man. God becomes a man. Jesus, the Son of God, becomes also the Son of Man. And in the words of Michael Card, this holy embryo goes through the normal gestation period of a human baby and then is born. God goes through the birth canal. Jesus was born. And God becomes a born person. And that silence of God is broken as God in the flesh sounds forth with the cries of a newborn baby. The hopes and fears of all the years. O little town of Bethlehem are met in thee tonight. Indeed. Stay with me. What kind of baby was this? Listen to some of the words from those who heard about him or announced him or saw him before and after his birth. So we talked about Elizabeth Mary's relative who had become pregnant supernaturally, somewhat supernaturally by the grace of God. Let's say it that way. Elizabeth becomes pregnant by natural means by the grace of God. And when Mary comes to meet with her while she's pregnant, Elizabeth says this about this baby that's in the womb of Mary. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Then, after that interaction, Mary has this to say in response to what Elizabeth has said to her. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has looked on the humble estate of His servant. For behold, from now on, all the generations will call me blessed, not because she's special, but 
For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. Talking about this baby in her. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate through this baby in her womb. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever through this baby in her womb. Elizabeth's husband, Zechariah, later speaking of John after John and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying blessed be the Lord God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember His holy covenant, the oath that He swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. And you, child, he says about John, will be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give knowledge of salvation to His people in the forgiveness of their sins... Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet in the way of peace. They're talking about Mary's baby. Then this baby is born. Mary's baby is born. And as we referenced this morning, angels fill the sky. After his birth. This is what they say about that baby. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. That's crazy enough. And the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they're like, well this is neat. And they were filled with great fear. One angel. And the angel said to them, fear not. Why? For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, Mary's baby, who is Christ the Lord. Back up. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, Mary's baby, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then heaven explodes. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and singing glory to God in the highest because of this baby. And on earth peace among those with whom he is Pleased. Heaven and earth are erupting to the glory of God for this baby. Eight days later, they present this baby, and Simeon the priest sees Jesus, this baby, 
Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took... Simeon took Jesus up in his arms and he blessed God and he said, Goo goo gaga. What a cute baby you have here. Oh no. He took him up in his arms and blessed God as he looked at this baby and he said, Lord, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. That you've prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles. And for glory to your people Israel. What kind of baby is this? Anna, the prophetess. When she saw the baby Jesus in the temple, Luke 2, 36 to 38. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Because of this baby. A couple years later, the kingmaker Magi come from the east and upon arriving in Bethlehem to visit Jesus, Matthew 2. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod heard the, the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That's a lot in the first couple years of Jesus' life. A lot of people reacting and responding with praise to God for the salvation and deliverance that had been foretold for 4,000 years has now shown up in the form of a baby. All of these people, even the angels, spoke of this baby, this child being the one, the deliverer, the savior, the messiah, the snake crusher. And they referred to prophecies of that Messiah to describe this baby who was God in the flesh. He was here. He had come. God had come. He was here. I mean, he'd always been everywhere. But now, he was here. As a person, as a baby, as a toddler. And that baby, who was truly God and truly man, grew like a normal human being. The Bible tells us next to nothing about his life after the visit of the wise men, which again would have been probably up to a couple of years after his birth. 
So we have his birth, his presentation at the temple, which would have been eight days after his birth, the visit of the wise men when he's approximately two-ish, his family then hides out in Egypt when Herod tries to have him killed and kills all the babies two and younger in Bethlehem because he heard he's coming from Bethlehem. So they run to Egypt at God's guidance. They return from Egypt and they settle in a little place called Nazareth. And then nothing until an account of him staying behind in Jerusalem after a Passover trip when he was 12. Anybody says they've got records or writings of Jesus' childhood, they don't. Let me just throw that out there. Don't read it. No use. No point in it. We've got everything we need at his birth, up to age 2, then at age 12, and then there's radio silence for almost 20 years. And he grows up in obscurity in Nazareth. And all that we know about those years is what Luke tells us in Luke 2, 51 to 52. And he went down with them, as was after the, the thing at the Passover where he stayed in Jerusalem. He went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Jesus was a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old and a 16-year-old, a 20-year-old. And though we don't know anything about from 12 to almost 20 years later, man, things start happening when we do start hearing about him, which began with his cousin John the Baptist preaching and calling people to repent in the spirit of Elijah, just like Malachi had said. And Jesus arrives on the scene seeking first to be baptized by John to fulfill all righteousness, he says. And at that baptism, the voice of God thunders around him, proclaiming, Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son with you. I am well pleased. Whose voice was that? That was the voice of the Father. The very voice of God. And I know maybe some of y'all are sitting here, wherever you're at, and you're thinking, okay, now we're getting into the fairy tale stuff. Au contraire. God the Father speaks about God the Son And being pleased with him and God the Holy Spirit descends on him in bodily form like a dove. And the Godhead fully present there is recognized and seen and heard and I'm sure felt. And God proclaims that Jesus was God and that he was well pleased with them. You are my beloved Son, sonship, kinship, same-ship. And then we see Jesus immediately going into the wilderness to fast for 40 days and to be tempted by the devil. And once that's over, he makes his headquarters in the region of Galilee. He calls his disciples and begins a public ministry of a little over three years, we think. 
And what a ministry it is. Little baby Jesus, meek and mild, is all grown up. He's not submissive to his parents anymore because he's a full-blown adult. He's been proclaimed to be the Son of God by the voice of God and the visible form of the Holy Spirit of God lighting on him. And he spends his ministry doing things that were otherworldly. Now, he did some common normal stuff, but he heals people of blindness, deafness, muteness, demonic oppression, dropsy, paralysis, even death. He speaks to winds and waves and they obey him. He teaches and over and over people say that his teaching is like nothing they've ever heard, filled with power and authority. He takes a ragtag bunch of cast off Jewish men who would have normally not even been able to be in the same room as each other and he crafts them into a cohesive, scripture-saturated group of world changers. He eats with sinners. He doesn't ceremonially wash his hands before dinner. He calls out the religious elite of his day and he sets himself up as their number one target for questions and accusations and ultimately death. They hate him so much. Now, they hate God in the flesh so much that they hatch a plot to kill him. He has to die if their religious system is going to survive. So they formulate their plan and hire one of his disciples to betray him into their hands with the goal of handing him over to the Romans for crucifixion. And their plan is efficient and it works very well. Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor, gets played like a fine violin and delivers up what he concludes is an innocent man to die on a Roman cross at the hands of soldiers who are trained to torture and kill as an art form. And from 9 a.m. until 3 p.m. that day, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God and the Son of Man, hangs on that Roman cross and then releases his spirit to the Father. Nobody takes my life for me. I lay it down of my own accord, for I have been given that power by my Father, Jesus said. So he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit, and with his ravaged body and his poured out blood, Showing clearly the wrath of God against sin, even though they don't see that. Jesus, God in the flesh, dies. Then they take his dead body off the cross, and as per the prophecies, a rich man named Joseph from Arimathea, buries him in a previously unused tomb where the body of the God-man lies dead. Until the third day. And then the God-man, the Son of Man, Mary's little boy, 
comes back to life and leaves the grave. Literally. He shows himself to be alive in a real body, eating fish, touch my hands, to over 500 people over a period of 40 days. And then, after calling his disciples together, the 11 left and some others, one last time he brings them together and he commands them with all authority that had been given to him in heaven and on earth. He commands them to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And then watch this. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, his disciples, he, this man, who had died and who had been buried and then who had come back to life and had shown himself alive, as they were looking on, he was lifted up And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why why you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, this very same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And that's how the story of Jesus' earthly life ends. It ends with him disappearing up into the clouds with a promise of him coming again. The end. God bless you. Have a great day. Neat story, huh? Man, wouldn't it be great if all that were true? Wouldn't it be incredible if that really happened? I'm being a little bit sarcastic. But I want to ask you this morning. What does it mean since it is true? Paul said we don't follow cleverly devised myths, but we proclaim to you Christ, the Son of God, the Son of Man. So it is true. You say, well, I don't believe it. It is true. So then what? I mean, for real. If all that I just said is true history, and I do believe with every fiber of my being that it is, the Bible says that it is, then what difference does it make in your life? What difference does it make in my life here in December, second Sunday of Advent 2021? Does it give you the warm fuzzies? The holiday happies? Maybe it gives you a spiritual feeling that urges you to go out there and try harder to do better. 
And I think we've all been in all those places. And I don't know where you're at today. But I want to ask you this morning again, and I'll probably ask you again. Can we press in? Can we push on? Can we think harder? Feel bigger? Do differently than we've ever done before. Not to please God. Jesus did that for us. But to know Him. And to know Him better. Because I promise you, if you know Him better, you're going to love Him more. And if you love Him more, you're going to serve Him better. Don't get the cart before the horse. It's all true. So what does it mean? I'm going to belabor a point, And I want you to humor me at least. And as far as engaging mentally, physically, emotionally. And I'm talking about laboring this morning. I want to read this song again. I want you to push in. I want you to press in. Come. Behold the wondrous mystery in the dawning of the King. He, the theme of heaven's praises, robed in frail humanity. In our longing, in our darkness, now the light of life has come. Look to Christ who condescended, took on flesh to ransom us. Come, behold the wondrous mystery. He, the perfect Son of Man, in His living, in His suffering, never trace nor stain of sin. See the true and better Adam come to save the hell-bound man. Christ, the great and sure fulfillment of the law. In Him we stand. Come, behold the wondrous mystery. Christ the Lord upon the tree, in the stead of ruined sinners, hangs the Lamb in victory. See the price of our redemption? See the Father's plan unfold? Bringing many sons to glory. Grace unmeasured, love untold. Come, behold the wondrous mystery. Slain by death, the God of life. But no grave could e'er restrain him. Praise the Lord, he is alive. What a foretaste of deliverance. How unwavering our hope. Christ in power resurrected. As we will be when he comes. Oh, that we could really take in like 20% of that. And I'm not here to beat you up and say you're not thinking hard enough, you're not trying hard enough, you're not good enough. But I am asking that you would push on, press in, think a little harder, think a little longer, meditate a little more purposefully. Because if we could take in that 20% of what we just read, I think it would change our lives. And I'm not even playing. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad or upset. I just think 
as we are prone to do in this Advent season, that we look at this cursory overview of the life of Jesus from conception to ascension, and we just nod and say, yeah, I know that. Or we say, okay. And if we say those things or any other response that isn't just overwhelmed amazement, then we are missing out. God's perfect plan. Jesus' conception, miraculous conception. His virgin birth, all that was said about and to Him. His life that perfectly kept and fulfilled God's law. His death on the cross for my forgiveness. His burial. His resurrection. You're like, don't go to Easter yet. No, we got to. His and others' verification of that resurrection. His ascension into heaven. And the fact that even today, the man... Christ Jesus is sitting on the throne of all power and all authority over all of heaven and earth. And what's he doing today? Well, not only is he the king of all things, not only is he receiving worship in heaven as he should be, as Luke mentioned this morning, he is the priest for those whom he has saved. The former priests, the writer of Hebrews says in chapter 7, were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But He, the Christ, Jesus, Mary's baby, the Son of God, holds His priesthood permanently. Because He continues forever. Consequently. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. What is Jesus doing right now? Jesus Christ is alive today in a real human body and He always lives To make intercession for his people. Does that make a difference in your life? That means that in his omnipotence, his all powerfulness, his omnipresence, him being everywhere, his omniscience, him knowing everything, in his perfection, one of the primary things that he does is pray for and help. His people. God in the flesh interceding for me. I'm telling you people, if we could get a hold of any one of these truths and grasp that truth well, It would change our lives and the lives of those around us for the better. So then what? I am begging us today. Me, you, y'all, 
us to press in, to pray on, and to power up by aggressively pursuing, aggressively pursuing any and all of these truths and the many, many others in the scriptures about Jesus and then to live them out. Not mentally assenting to them, not favorably agreeing to them, not lazily or angrily altering them, but passionately pursuing them, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Casting aside the sin which so easily entangles us. Casting aside the distractions of the world and the playthings that we hold so dear. And pursuing Him with everything that we have in the power that He provides by His Holy Spirit. Let's stop playing churchianity. And let our lives and the lives of those around us be changed as God Himself lives His life out through us. That's why Jesus came to die. That's why His flesh was broken. That incarnate flesh was broken and His real human blood was spilled so that we could be one with God. So that we could be adopted into God's family and as His sons, watch Him do what only He can do in and through us. God forgave your sins. All of them. Vody Bauckham says this, It amazes me that we believe this, that God would crush and kill his own son, but let you slide. Does that amaze you this morning? Or are you too busy thinking about what you're doing this afternoon to stop and ponder it? God help us. God, please help us to stop and listen. Be humbled and be exalted and be amazed at who you are and what you've done through the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Which brings us to application. So much more to say. But let's wind it down and look at application through three P's. Perfect, power, and person. Perfect, power, and person. First is perfect. We mentioned last week that Jesus fulfilled 400 plus Old Testament prophecies in His coming from His conception to His ascension. And that's pretty amazing. And that really should change our lives. But there's more to it than just that. This was according to God's perfect plan that He had talked about 
and let us know for 4,000 years before it happened, it didn't happen by accident. It was not a reaction of God to the plans of people. It was the perfect plan of God. Now, so what, right? Listen to me. God has not, is not, and will not do what He's doing haphazardly or in a way that is not in accord with His perfect plan. Is your life coming apart at the seams? Has the whole world gone crazy and lost its mind? Is God surprised? Is His plan, His perfect plan, thwarted? It is not. And Jesus' first coming exemplified the fact that God's way is perfect. As for this God, His way is perfect. Watch this. Galatians 4, 4 4-5. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Now look at that. Fullness of time to redeem that we might receive. Did God go, oh no, we better get you down there, Jesus, because things look worse than they did? No, no, no. Timing-wise, the prophecies were laid out to show it's going to happen on this day. And he's going to look like this, and it's going to happen in this town, and then you're going to go to Egypt, and then you're going to come back, and you're going to be called a Nazarene. Then you're going to make your perfect uh, sanctuary, governing, reigning era, first in Galilee. And then you're going to do all kinds of crazy stuff. And you're going to blow people's minds. And this is the plan so that it happens at the right time so that I might redeem my people so that I might receive them as sons. Watch this. Here's a note from uh, Jameson Fawcett Brown commentary on this passage here in Galatians. The fullness of time. Listen. Literally, the time appointed by the Father. God does nothing prematurely. But foreseeing the end from the beginning waits till all is ripe for the execution of his purpose. Had Christ come directly after the fall, the enormity and deadly fruits of sin would not have been realized fully by man so as to feel his desperate state and need of a savior. Sin was fully developed. Men's inability to save himself by obedience to the law, whether that of Moses or that of conscience, was completely manifested. All the prophecies of various ages found their common center in this particular time. And providence, by various arrangements in the social and political, as well as the moral world, had fully prepared the way for the coming Redeemer. God, they they finish with this, God often permits physical evil long before He teaches the remedy. The smallpox had for long committed its ravages before inoculation and then vaccination was discovered. It was essential to the honor of God's law to permit evil long before He revealed the full remedy. The fullness of time. End of quote. What am I saying? 
I'm saying that right now in your life, you may be looking and you may be saying, this doesn't make sense. This can't be God's plan. Have you forgotten me? Are you angry with me? Am I not yours at all? And in the fullness of time, God will deliver you in his way to the praise of his perfect plan, to the praise of his perfect glory. It is easy to miss his perfect ways. How many people missed the incarnation? And while we bemoan our state, our current state as individuals, maybe even as the mass of humanity, I can promise you on the authority of the word of God, as for this God, his way is perfect. So hold on. So that's perfect. Ah, now power. I mentioned the word omnipotence earlier. Listen to me, church. There is not one thing in your life that the power of Jesus Christ cannot overcome. Not one. Now, he may not conquer it in the way that you want him to or expect him to. He came as a baby in a manger. Not a triumphal entry for sure. He came riding on the back of a donkey in preparation for his death. Not our picture of power for sure. But watch this. Now, unto him... That is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Now look at this. According to the power that worketh. How did that happen? In us. Unto him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now let me, let me, let me read that again. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. According to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Jesus Christ came as a person in a flesh with real blood. And demonstrated the power of God through meekness through submission to the Father's will, to the point of death, even death on a cross? Does that look victorious? That's the very power of God. And that very power is at work within us. To overcome, to love, to serve, to cherish, to treasure, to rejoice, to weep. Not just get you through till things get better, but the very power of God. 
Jesus came in the flesh that we might have the very power of God and that the very power of God might work within us. Us. That might could change your life. Tap into that power. Trust the perfect plan of God. Perfect power. And finally, person. Any and all of these truths about Jesus are life-altering. But let's just settle in on the incarnation as we finish. Ask 20 people what these candles stand for. You might get 20 different answers. Yeah, you might get 50 different answers if you ask 20 people. That's true. (laughs) Some traditions say that this second candle is the faith candle. Some even call it the Bethlehem candle to commemorate Mary and Joseph's trip to Bethlehem, which takes us back to the manger which takes us back to God becoming a baby, a man, a person. God's original creation, back in the garden, focused on people reigning and ruling over that creation. God's plan for humanity has always been To show His glory through people created in His image. From the beginning. And Jesus is the perfect execution of that plan. Goodness gracious, even the winds and the waves obeyed Him. And so then what? As the perfectly incarnate God-man whose power is at work within us now, listen, Jesus still has a life to live. And as He sits on a literal throne in the literal heaven, His perfect power is available to us so that we might in flesh, so that we might incarnate His life as He lives through us. As He lives His life through us. The body of Christ. See the true and better Adam come to save the hell-bound man. The true and better Adam. The true and better Abel. The true and better Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The true and better Joseph, the true and better Moses, the true and better David, the true and better Jason. God wants to do in and through me, in and through you, exceeding abundantly above anything that we could think or imagine. As He shows His life through us. As He continues to incarnate Himself 
through his people. So how shall we then live? Have this mind among yourselves. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. Who though he was in the form of God. Did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Have that mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Humble yourself, empty yourself, pour out your life to the point of death. That's what the miracle of the incarnation showed us, the example of how to do. Hallelujah, he was foretold to be coming. Hallelujah, he came. Hallelujah, he lives in us today. And hallelujah, he will come again. He is the center and focus of all creation and all history. Today, individual, person, lost or saved, he is the answer that you need. Press in. Push on. Know Him and all that He is in and for and through you. Let's pray. Who are we, God? Who are we that you would live your life for us? That you would live your life in us and that you would live your life through us. Your way is perfect. Your power is beyond anything that we could think or imagine. Help us to be the people, the persons that only you can be through us. We desperately need your help and you love to give it. That's what the incarnation tells us. So we celebrate that. Help us, God in your omnipotence to do these things. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand and receive a benediction? Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to him who is able to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You're dismissed, but please stay and eat with us if you can.